Welcome back to another episode of Wellbound. We are your hosts, Peyton Janicek and Brooke Snyder. In today's episode, we are going to be talking all about the anti-inflammatory diet, diving a little bit more into whether the research backs up the hype. So to start, I guess let's talk about inflammation a little bit. So in general, inflammation isn't actually a bad thing as long as it's acute or short-lived. So everybody, you know, talks about how bad inflammation is, but the purpose of inflammation is actually to heal. Um, That's typically what we see it as. So inflammation is a physiological process involved in the defenses of the body and the repair of tissues. So it's acutely activated, so short-term, activated by things like infections, trauma, toxins, or allergic reactions. It's like, you know, if you eat something and you're allergic to it, your body kind of reacts, right? And it's reacting to protect you, essentially. Yep. It's obviously different in different areas of the body. Like an allergic reaction is different than a sprained ankle, but same same concept. Yeah. Um, however, if it becomes chronic or more long-term, inflammation can end up stimulating the development of different diseases such as cardiovascular disease, autoimmune diseases, neurological diseases, some cancers um, as well. And so in more recent years, there's also seeming to be a link to some potential issues with mental health, which I think is really interesting as well. And I think that's more of like a hot topic that's been brought up more yeah. recently. Yeah. And I have like, I've been fortunate enough to actually do some research in this area and um, have presented some case studies on this in the past. And I think it's super interesting. So I'll, I'll touch on that in just a bit. Yeah. Um, so for example, in a meta-analysis that was published in 2022, it was seen that a pro-inflammatory diet, which will explain kind of what pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory diets can look like. But a pro-inflammatory diet caused both an increase in risk for anxiety and depression, even more so in women, which, you know, I don't know if the research was more specifically focused on women and that's why it seemed more prevalent in women. But overall, I think it's just important to point out the fact that there was an increase in anxiety and depression with those who were consuming more inflammatory foods. Definitely. So before we get into all the details, I think we should maybe touch on some of those foods that fall into like our anti-inflammatory versus our inflammatory um, categories. So Brooke, do you want to kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay. Yeah. So I am going to just quickly go over some nutrients to include to help reduce inflammation or some anti-inflammatory foods. So anti-inflammatory foods can help influence our brain's regulatory components and inflammatory cytokines. I'll kind of discuss with the, what this means in just a second, but essentially the list of nutrients or nutrient compounds I'm about to go over are all high level fancy words for anti-inflammatory agents. So each of the following classifications I'm about to talk about of specific nutrients have a certain mechanism in which they work to reduce inflammation or just kind of drive down those inflammatory markers in the body. But some of these words can get kind of large or sound complicated. In reality, they're all just kind of fancy terms to explain a reduction of foods foods that can help with the reduction of, of inflammation. Yeah. So I'll kind of start with the first one. Um, it's called carotenoids. So what carotenoids do is inhibit the downstream production of inflammatory cytokines. And um, what I really want to do here is just kind of give some examples of like, you're probably like, what the heck is a carotenoid? 
essentially carotenoids are found in a lot of orange and red mm-hmm. fruits and vegetables. There are some, um, I mean, leafy greens kind of fall into a lot of categories as you guys are going to soon find out, but some examples, sweet potatoes, cantaloupe, tangerines, carrots, and then um, avocado, things like avocado and kale all have a high level of carotenoids in them, um, which are great to, to start to incorporate in your diet. The next one is called polyphenols. So polyphenols can be found in foods like cherries, tart cherries, berries, pomegranates. So a lot of those like blue, mm-hmm. deep red, purple foods. And then again, some some leafy greens. So spinach and then a fun one, dark chocolate. So yeah, polyphenols are, are great to incorporate post-workout. I like to recommend something like tart cherry juice post-workout to a lot of my athletes and and active individuals yeah and I think adding on to this because I plan to touch on dark chocolate a little bit too we're not talking like the dark chocolate candy bars you can get at the store we're talking isn't it like 80 percent or higher is typically Mm -hmm. so it's going to be pretty bitter dark chocolate so it's an acquired taste for sure yes it is so if you're just thinking oh like I'm getting polyphenols from this you know dove dark chocolate bar yeah that's that says it's only 60 percent dark chocolate If it's pretty sweet, you're probably not getting um, a lot of the benefits from that specifically, um, just because that's when like the sweetness is added and you know, that the true cocoa or whatever is, is reduced in that. Yeah. Once, I don't know, I, I do kind of have that acquired taste now. Like I, I like the taste of dark chocolate, even though it's a little bit bitter, but I don't know, maybe that's because I like coffee too. And I feel like they're kind of in that same family, but something that I love to do and this is, this is just like. I mean, for combining anti-inflammatory and inflammatory foods, <laughs> like if you're making sweets or something, adding in some of these more bitter chocolates, mm-hmm. like true, true dark chocolate actually is really good. Yeah. It just like, I think it's because they're you're already getting some sweetness from whatever you're making. Yeah. But just that combination. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. Yep. So that is polyphenols. So again, we have carotenoids, polyphenols. This next category you guys are probably a little more familiar with is omega-3 fatty acids. So um, specifically ones rich in EPA and DHA. So some um, examples of this can be like chia seeds, flax seeds. You can add those to things like yogurt, smoothies, oatmeal, even some salads. Sometimes mm-hmm. people will just like sprinkle some of this on um, things like walnuts or salmon, other fatty fish, um, and then potentially like taking an omega-3 or a fish oil supplement. I always like to try and get omega-3s through food first, but sometimes that's not always. Yeah. Omega-3 is one of those two that it's kind of hard, like unless you're having fish every day or tuna or whatever. Um, obviously, if you're adding in chia seeds and flaxseed, we still get some of the the ALA or, you know, that conversion of omega-3s, which from plant foods aren't as bioavailable. They're not as bioavailable or they're not converted as well. Yes. To the form that we can utilize as that EPA DHA, for example. So this is one of the one things that I would say that supplementation is fine typically in most cases. Definitely. Um, Just because fish oil is fish oil, like Canaan and I we kind of take like a multivitamin or a prenatal and fish oils every day. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think we've touched on this in some previous episodes, but omega-3s are awesome for just brain health. Mm-hmm. And um, like a lot of athletes will take them for either concussion protocol. So if they experience a concussion or even prevention mechanism. So great for brain health um, as well as just kind of driving down inflammation. So mm-hmm. um 
And then on this next nutrient you guys are probably familiar with as well, magnesium. Magnesium does a variety of things in terms of um, metabolism, different um, metabolic benefits and impacts a lot of different metabolic pathways. For example, like muscle protein synthesis, you wouldn't think about magnesium playing a large role here. You would think, you know, that's just about your protein, your overall protein intake, but magnesium helps facilitate muscle protein synthesis. So being able to build and maintain Mm -hmm. that lean muscle mass and repair tissues over time. And so magnesium rich foods include things like almonds, cashews, pumpkin seeds. So a lot of nuts and seeds here. Um, You can find magnesium in all of those nut butters as well. So things like almond butter, cashew butter, um, different seed butters, as well as some beans and peas. So for example, like black beans are rich in magnesium as well. Um, So So yeah, magnesium is also one that just another kind of fun fact about magnesium is if you consume a magnesium rich snack or if you did want to venture into kind of some supplementation with magnesium, it can help with your quality of of sleep, Mm -hmm. helping you get to sleep faster and having a better like quality and duration of sleep. So something to consider maybe if you are having having trouble Yes. With your sleep. Definitely reach out to a dietitian or a a physician about this. But um, magnesium just has like a multitude of benefits. Yeah. Which I would always look to because a lot of times if you're taking a multivitamin, it'll have magnesium in it sometimes. So just be cognizant of that. But with like the sleep piece, it's always kind of a cool thing to bring up magnesium with sleep versus like melatonin, for example. Yes. Um, Because I know a lot of people who like ritually take melatonin melatonin at night Mm -hmm. and if you take melatonin for prolonged periods of time it can actually prevent the body from producing melatonin by its by itself or on its own um which then once you're not taking the melatonin anymore your sleep is like terrible so then you're kind of like not dependent on it but it feels that way yeah i like to call melatonin um kind of like slapping a band-aid over the problem instead of addressing like the root cause of the problem. Um, So yeah. I think it's one of those where it's like here and there, like if you're traveling or, Mm -hmm. you know, you're trying to deal with jet lag or something, it could probably help. um, But it's not something that you want to take all the time. So this is where like the magnesium and sleep piece can be really helpful because you can get that from some of these foods too. Absolutely. And definitely talk, like I said, to a dietitian or your provider about supplementation for any of these things. But specifically with magnesium, you'll want to take the proper form Mm -hmm. um there's a couple different forms one is more like one benefits sleep another form benefits like that muscle recovery a little bit more and then a third form is for kind of helping relieve constipation so just make sure that you're talking to your provider about like what form and kind of the doses dosage on that if you're looking for a supplement. Yeah, I don't need to be taking milk and magnesia to help me go to bed. <laughs> I'm probably going to have some issues. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> but I do think magnesium, um, especially with that sleep com- component, as well as all the other things it does for a variety of those metabolic processes, like I mentioned, um, just really helps with that cell recovery and overall mm-hmm. recovery in the body. So an awesome one there. Um So just to reiterate, we have magnesium, omega-3s, those polyphenols, carotenoids, and then kind of a fun one that I think is fairly easy to start incorporating to your day-to-day life in the kitchen is incorporating active compounds in herbs and spices. So 
Um, things like turmeric, black pepper, cayenne pepper, cinnamon, um, green tea or matcha. There's active compounds in these herbs and spices that help reduce or suppress pro-inflammatory cytokine production or um, or enhances like anti-inflammatory yeah, cytokine. So yeah, so there's kind of like a double double whammy here. Like some of these some of these spices both diminish that pro-inflammatory response, but also activate the anti-inflammatory response, whereas others um, just kind of do one or the other. Still mm-hmm. beneficial, but I thought that this was kind of interesting. So I'll give a couple examples. For, for example, or for instance, turmeric, the active compound is called curcumin. And um, so that's just kind of what helps drive down inflammation in these scenarios. Whereas like the herb or spice chili pepper, the active compound is called capsation and that helps reduce activity of those pro-inflammatory cytokines and enhances activity of anti-inflammatory cytokines. Uh, Black pepper is an easy one. You know, we add salt and pepper to a lot of things. The active compound there is called um, piperine or piperin. It's similar to chili pepper or chili powder, where but it just has a lower potency, but it suppresses the pro-inflammatory cytokines or pro-inflammatory markers. So just a couple examples there, but this could be something like, for example, I like to put like turmeric and dill on some of my white fish. Mm-hmm. I'll include like turmeric, dill, um, some salt and black pepper. And I really like that flavor combination, but you can just kind of play around in the kitchen with some of these things. Maybe it's even just adding some cinnamon to a bowl of oatmeal or mm-hmm. your yogurt or um, peanut butter toast even. Yeah. I think that the, the herbs and spices get a little, people kind of feel like they're woo wooey, Like they're a little bit more holistic type mm-hmm. feel. Yeah. But we do it every day. You know, it's like these things. I am like a huge proponent of cinnamon. I put cinnamon on everything. I always say that I measure cinnamon with my heart because I, I usually just dump cinnamon in yeah. things. Um, but I, you know, there's a lot of different things that you can do with this. So, I mean, Brooke and I are probably the minority in this, but that we like matcha or green tea lattes and yeah. things like that. Um, it is an acquired taste, but something like that, even putting cinnamon on that or they make like golden milk lattes you can make those at home with turmeric and those are two when you see people taking and you can buy those like wellness shots you know that have like they're super spicy or they have ginger or they have turmeric or whatever and I'm not promoting that you take those but you can kind of make your own like little thing if you want to if you want to drink it that way otherwise just adding it to your foods is this totally fine too yeah I think if you know maybe you can I don't know, just next time you're at the store, get a couple herbs and spices. You don't have to get, you know, the entire the entire spice rack, but mm-hmm. maybe you pick up some turmeric or maybe you pick up some cinnamon the next time you're at the store and start to find ways that you can incorporate it. And I truly think small small changes or small additions like that make can can make a difference mm-hmm. over time. So right. kind of a fun one. Uh, The last one I'll touch on is called like nitrates. So nitrates or nitric oxide have what's called this vasodilating effect, which essentially means that they help dilate your blood vessels for better blood flow throughout the body or to an area of inflammation. Um, They also provide, because they allow for better blood blood flow, they also um, provide like better oxygenation to your skeletal muscles for my athletes and active individuals out there. Um, 
this is something that, so here I'll talk about some foods that have nitrates in them. Things like beets is a big one, dark leafy greens, radishes, celery, bok choy. Um, And I actually just gave a nutrition talk to some of my hockey athletes this week on the effects of like the nitric, the nitric oxide in beets and how it can help them in increase their stamina and endurance on the ice because of that vasodilating effect. So essentially, yep, like we said, dilates your blood vessels, which allows for better blood flow to your muscles, which allows for better oxygenation to your muscles, um, which can help inflammation over time or can also help enhance enhance performance. So um, kind of a fun one too, but you could, you could add, you know, beets into salads or you could roast beets and Um, have them hot or serve them with other vegetables. You can incorporate celery in like a veggie tray or bok choy in a stir fry, which I like to do a lot of the times. Um, But yeah, just kind of another fun category here. Yeah. I feel like all of these have just so many benefits. Mm -hmm. So it's like we talk about the anti-inflammatory side of things, but you know, Brooks mentioning that this is like a vasodilator. So it's also going to be beneficial for like cardiovascular health too. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, there's just so many benefits. So if you're like, "Ah, I don't care about the anti-inflammatory part, these all still have like a huge benefit on overall health. Definitely. Yeah. All of the categories that we just mentioned, a lot of the foods within these categories don't just contain the nutrient that we're talking about. They're rich in essential vitamins and minerals that just help with overall immunity, um, injury prevention, and just overall wellness in general. So, um, yeah, always great to add, you know, some colorful foods to your diet whenever you can. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So after kind of going over a few of those categories, I do, I know Peyton mentioned some of the research on mental health a little bit earlier. And I do kind of want to touch on this because I think it's really interesting. And like I said, I've presented some research and done a case study on this in the past. So um, I'm going to specifically talk about nutrition in relation to depression, because that's the kind of where a majority of that research lies. Um, and is a, like kind of where I've covered mm-hmm. this the most, because one, this is where the research is being done. Um, but two, this is, yeah, just kind of what I've done in the past. So in relation to depression or MDD, um, depression isn't considered an inflammatory disorder. However, there's underlying inflammation, like thought to come from a variety of factors, like diet, exercise, lifestyle, um, certain medications, etc. Um, and individuals with depression often have increased inflammatory markers. So just something to kind of note, um, and which is interesting, really where I want to focus my kind of like discussion on is what's called the SMILES trial. So this is a research study that I think is extremely interesting, especially considering it was the first randomized controlled trial to assess diet or like nutrients as a treatment for mental health disorders, again, specifically depression here. So I'm going to kind of walk through how that study was conducted. And keep in mind, I just mentioned, this was the first randomized control trial to assess diet as a treatment for mental health. And this was done in 2017. Yeah, which is very new. So recent. I mean, I know 2017 was a few years ago at this point, but still like, that's the first time we ever 
decided to assess this. It just seems crazy to yeah. somebody like myself who obviously I love talking about the prevention and the mm-hmm. preventative measures and how nutrition can impact us in, in those ways. Yeah. So. Sometimes I think about these things that come up and I'm like, how did we, how did we just start doing research on this? Like, how did we not yeah. put two and two together? This is something we should have looked into like so many years ago. And I'm sure there was people who did, but the studies just, you know, either weren't successful or they didn't, you know, see what they wanted to from these. And yeah, I just, 2017, although it does feel like so recent, it's, I mean, it feels like too, that it's been so many years since 2017, but, but it still feels so recent, you know, for, for it to be the first time that a study was conducted in this area, it seems, it does seem wild to me. Um, and I think since then there's been, um, quite a few like more studies done in this area, but, um, I, I do want to talk about the first one. Yeah. 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 So this again, randomized control trial, we had an intervention or like dietary support group and then a control group. So the intervention group, they met with a dietitian regularly who encouraged like optimal adherence to an anti-inflammatory diet, which incorporated whole grains, vegetables, fruit, legumes, so beans and peas, um, eggs, olive oil, lean protein. And then you had a control group or this like social support group. So they met with trained personnel who used what's called like the befriending protocol. Um, So this was just like therapeutic alliance. Like I think they met with a therapist or a counselor Mm -hmm. here and then discussed topics of interest with their support group. So news, sports, they would play card and board games, things like this, but they didn't assess or talk about diet Mm -hmm. at all. Um, And so the dietary group who met with a dietitian and who kind of adhered to this anti-inflammatory diet had significantly greater improvement in what was called their like Mater score. So what the Mater score was, was just a survey of, or an assessment of their depressive symptoms. Um, So just... I mean, yeah, how they were feeling kind of when the, how they were feeling and how they felt their symptoms were at the start of the trial versus the end of the trial. And the the trial was 12 weeks long. So between baseline and 12 weeks compared to that social support group, um, the diet intervention group saw significantly less depressive symptoms over time. So, Mm -hmm. which is just really interesting. Um, I want to bring up just a couple limitations in the study because I think it's always important not to like cherry pick information Mm -hmm. and just say like, oh yeah, this is great and it's so beneficial because there's always typically a flaw in in research studies and how they're conducted. So just a couple limitations. It was a single blinded study and so there may have been some expectation bias there. It was also a small sample size. So there was 33 people in the intervention group and 34 in the control group and um, it failed to analyze the inflammatory potential of their dietary interventions and reverse causation was also not addressed. So just a couple things from the study. that I feel like is important to mention so that we're not not giving the the whole truth there but still they saw some great some great improvements over over the course of 12 weeks by incorporating again some anti-inflammatory foods like whole grains, vegetables, fruit, legumes, eggs, olive oil, etc. yeah um each day. So which you mentioned, you know, we have to give some leniency that it was a small sample size and all of that because it was the first study, right? But yeah. then 
this meta-analysis that I had mentioned in the beginning, um, I just looked back into it to see like how many studies were looked at, how many participants were looked at. And in total, there was after they kind of broke everything down and pulled out the ones that were applicable, there was 17 studies with a total of like 157,409 participants were included in the final analysis. Oh, awesome. So, you know, that helps us to be like, okay, so we've seen progress with that. And you said that meta-analysis was done in 2022. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, so you can kind of see how far the research has come over time too. So we started with a study with 30... One thing. (laughs) With 60 people um, kind of looking at one thing and then Peyton's mentioning a meta-analysis that um, assessed over 150,000 people over the course of probably five to six years, which is awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So do you want to go over kind of... Yeah, there was a couple things, I think, just with this. So first, actually, let's chat about like the the diet aspect of this. So yeah, it's called, when we're talking about it, right, we're calling it the anti-inflammatory diet. However, and I know Brooke agrees with me because yes. we were just talking about this, how we're like, oh, how, how should we speak about this though? Because we don't like calling things a diet. And I, I just have a vendetta against the word diet. <laughs> I know. I which, don't like to use the word diet. I think I just think it's unnecessary because the second the second we use the word diet, there are so many like negative connotations mm-hmm. and associations with it, um, thinking that we need to aggressively like remove things from your daily nutrition like patterns yeah. from your diet which is which is unfortunate because like with diet when i so this is again from the perspective of a dietitian and then i kind of have to like convert over into just like general population as general population yeah i'm like okay my diet what's my diet you know what am i removing what am i taking out what am i currently doing to get xyz result in my dietitian brain it's like okay let's look at your daily diet Let's look at what you're eating throughout the day. Mm-hmm. We're, it's not like a structured program or anything like that. Diet is just your consumption. Yeah. But it does. It has this like negative connotation. So anytime we say even like Mediterranean diet, it's like with a Mediterranean diet, similarly to the anti-inflammatory diet, it's not following a strict diet plan. It's not a program. It's literally just here's some foods that have this benefit that you want you can add them to your diet. Let's like, start incorporating let's them start more. Incorporating them, yes. Whereas the second that you say something diet, people assume that there's restrictions mm-hmm. um, and very strict, like very, yeah, very severe or strict restrictions to the next thing you're about to say, which right. isn't the case. Right. So that's why I have my own <laughs> like thing or vendetta against the word diet. Cause I do believe that the incorporation like and prioritization of anti-inflammatory foods can be beneficial for all individuals. Right. I know, I know I specifically work with athletes most often and you know, those active individuals, but I think that this could be beneficial for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second, yeah, the second you say the word diet, um, Oh, I just I just don't like it. Well, yeah, and I had pulled another research article too, um, and it's about just like aging. So it's called the anti-inflammatory properties of a diet: the role in healthy aging. And this was published in 2021, so also a little more recent. Um, but I think it's just another piece of the puzzle where we're like, okay, there's so many benefits of this that we can see, right? And so. Over time, like we talked about, you know, inflammation is this key physiological process in 
both immunity and tissue repair. And if we're not managing those things effectively, we will probably see some long-term consequences, especially as we age. Because, you know, we we tend to all think that we're very resilient and like we'll just bounce back when we're like kids and, and even into our like early 30s. We're like, oh, we're still, you know, we'll just kick back into it. I think we all just... um I even even myself now and Matt and I talk about this a lot like we just perpetually think that we're 22 yeah like we're not good. we're not older than that I still feel like I'm like, like um, an entry college you're closer to 30 now Brooke than, <laughs> yeah. than 20 let's let's get realistic here yeah and so I think it's just important for us to think about okay if we're choosing some of these anti-inflammatory foods to add into our diet our normal daily consumption um they can't have benefits on us for a long, long time. And so, again, you know, just reiterating reiterating some of the impacts that these diets can have. But again, that word diet um, is not some specific strict diet to follow. It's more of just a way of eating, which is why I like, I like the premise of it. Um, and so, I mean, ultimately, you know, we're asking the question, like, is it worth the hype? I think it is. Mm-hmm. I think it is as long as we're not like treating it as some diet program that we need to do something crazy with it the focus should be more on adding some of these anti-inflammatory foods or things with those anti-inflammatory agents to the diet versus removing all these other things that you're currently eating yeah you mentioned earlier um kind of when you have your dietitian cap or your dietitian brain on when you're asking clients um to kind of go over maybe their typical consumption in a day um I do the same thing, obviously, and I'm all about enhancing the diet. So either how can we fill the gaps Mm -hmm. that we're maybe missing through food first or like with some of these anti-inflammatory foods and let's add foods that positively impact our overall health and inflammatory markers instead of, again, instead of taking things away like entire food groups or foods that we love. And so, yeah, I've just found that this makes a larger difference than focusing on what needs to be removed always. And I'd also like to point out that the anti-inflammatory diet is basically the same thing we're always promoting when we share like how to eat things in moderation versus what should be included in your typical diet. Like we're always telling people to include fruits, vegetables, healthy fats, fish, whole grains, lean meats, nuts, spices, you know, all these things. Right. And we all know that this is because of things like fiber, omega-3s, these polyphenols, like all of these beneficial properties and we're also typically on the on the side of like, okay, we need to make sure that we're not having high amounts of added sugars, saturated fats. We're not drinking alcohol in excess. We're not having a ton of ultra-processed foods, that kind of thing that this is literally what this anti-inflammatory diet is saying, basically, yeah. is the same thing that we're kind of talking about all the time. We just don't label it as that. Right. And... um I do kind of want to circle back to some of the examples you just gave. So again, those high amounts of of sugars and added sugar, saturated fat, alcohol, ultra processed foods and meats, um, other prepackaged like snack foods. Mm-hmm. Those are all what would be considered pro-inflammatory right. foods. Yes. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Just wanted to just wanted to clear clear that up because I feel like people always ask to. Um, okay. Well, you just gave me a giant list of things that I can incorporate. Mm -hmm. And I know we talked about, hey, let's not remove entire food groups. But if you did want to watch your consumption of pro-inflammatory foods, those are some examples of maybe you could start to limit or or decrease your consumption of some of those things. Right. And so when we say that, it's kind of like look at your your overall daily consumption, right? And if you're like, okay, well, I do pretty good, you know, at, at 
breakfast and dinner, but lunch is really tough for me. And I tend to get, you know, the freezer meals, which can be absolutely fine as long as you're looking at what's in them, right? Um, But maybe you're going to get fast food or maybe you're just going to the gas station really quick and grabbing something. Noticing that and being able to make the little change of, okay, I'm just going to prepare to have something on hand for whatever this is. It can literally be like a sandwich or something that you're bringing with you that's not super complicated, but it's still then kind of acting as that benefit over again it's kind of like that net positive choice versus net negative choice when it comes to overall health um and so yeah I just think that that's that's kind of a way to step back and look at it instead of oh my gosh well I do all these things wrong and so I just need to scrap it and I'm just gonna only eat these anti-inflammatory foods yeah um that can get a little a little crazy <laughs> yeah for for example like if you were, if we were going with the freezer meal example um and you have you know freezer meals in your fridge or freezer at work or you're able to come home and just pop one in the microwave or mm-hmm. the air fryer really quick um again what can you add to that to make it a little bit more nutritious or or help incorporate some anti-inflammatory mm-hmm. foods with that like are you having a freezer like pasta dish that you could add um some leafy greens to mm-hmm. um maybe you could throw some arugula or spinach on top maybe you have some like chopped broccoli that you could toss in with it especially mm-hmm. if it, yeah like i said a pasta dish um or maybe you could even just have like a piece of fruit on the side right um and so how can we enhance some of these things instead of just taking them away um and that could be step one you know maybe we work towards prepping some of those meals like Mm -hmm. for yourself um or work towards strategies if this was a goal of yours to help kind of revamp that lunch if it was a goal like i said right um but if you're like hey no that's that's not doable for me right now small changes end up making a big difference over time. Um, I was going to say like shavings make a pile or yeah, those small changes Mm -hmm. end up making a big difference in the course of our life. Yeah. Yeah. And there are other ways to reduce inflammation. So if you're like, Hey, like diet is just one that I just can't work on in this exact moment. It's just not going to work out with like what I'm doing right now. There's so many things that can also impact inflammation, things like regular exercise. So again, this doesn't need to be crazy, crazy. Like the other day I was just so exhausted. I was like, I can't go to the gym. So I put on a 15 minute YouTube video, did this workout, which I actually was very tired from and was sore the next day, even though I'm used to strength training. Right. And so it probably didn't feel as productive, but this 15 minute YouTube workout I just did in my living room, literally didn't grab any equipment. I just stood in front of the TV and I was like, tell me what to do. That still was something that I chose to do that probably made a difference for me that day. Yeah. Um, so regular sleep or regular exercise sleep is another one focusing on sleep. If that's one area that you're like, I just struggle in the sleep department. Sleep is huge. And we we should do, we should do an episode on sleep in the future because it is just, it's so important. It's the one time that your body really has to rest, recover, like cells are Mm -hmm. rejuvenating, like in recovering, and it's just the one real time that our body has to help us, like help us out to yeah. recover. And we, we abuse it a lot of the time. So sleep is just, I mean, it's, it's so. Yeah. Sometimes so it gets huge. placed on the back burner when we're just mm-hmm. so busy. Cause we do, we're just in a hustle bustle like situation all the time. Now it feels like where you're like, okay, well, if I have to get all this stuff done, I'll just compromise my sleep. Mm-hmm. And that tends to work against you in all situations um yeah very detrimentally um to your health and just product 
productivity for consecutive days. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, we bring it up. I think like most episodes it gets brought up. And so in addition to sleep, stress management. So stress is another one. If you're constantly stressed, I think we've talked about this before, that acute stress similarly to inflammation, so short-term stress, is not going to be necessarily a bad thing. It's kind of like, you know, it's just going to get you, it's a protective reaction by your body. And on the other side, when it becomes this long-term situation or this chronic situation is when we start to see those detrimental health effects. So if we're not managing our stress on a day-to-day basis and it's really starting to impact us, that's another area that we'll see some of that inflammation um, kind of peak. Definitely. I feel like that's a domino effect. We see inflammation start to peak. We see sleep start to be impacted. Mm-hmm. Um, when those things are impacted, typically like motivation to exercise is diminished. Mm-hmm. Um, it all kind of is a domino effect. So I, I do think stress management, you know, could be labeled as the number one thing to try and prioritize yeah. maybe outside of diet is just finding ways to, to help manage stress, whether that's maybe a morning, meditation or you know getting outside getting some vitamin Mm -hmm. d and going for a walk getting some steps in whatever that is for you um i just i think it's huge in terms of um prioritizing it to not make sure that domino effect continues yeah starts to happen or continue yeah and then i think another big one is like hydration right again we always talk about all these things that get brought up but hydration is another piece obviously if we're not hydrating our body's going to be reacting negatively because we do need so much fluid um and then with that things like i mean any sort of substance abuse uh whether that's cigarettes whether that's alcohol any of those things, whether that's drugs, we're probably going to see some sort of impact on us that is negative um, long-term based on just what we've seen in research um, up to this point. So again, there's like so many things that you can do and don't feel like you need to do them all at one time. It's kind of like focus on whatever. I always tell clients, I'm like, you know what you're really good at and you know what you struggle with. So I don't need to tell you what areas you need to work on because you feel them, you know, like, you know, which ones. And so you should go through and pick what areas you think that you need to work on or that you can work on that you have the ability to at this time. Yeah. And maybe you just start with one, pick one thing that's going to help you manage, um, manage inflammation. Maybe it's incorporating, um, one of the groups of anti-inflammatory foods that we talked about. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's incorporating one food or one new Mm -hmm. food a week or something. Um, or picking and like I said, picking an area that you struggle with. Maybe it's sleep. Maybe it's stress management. Pick one thing and focus on that to try and help manage manage your underlying inflammation, and then um, build build off of that yeah. habit. Yeah. One I one I can think about just because I do it sometimes. If I notice like oh I'm not doing as good with like fruit, especially in the winter when we're in Nebraska and the fruits like it's fine. Obviously yeah. we don't get the worst, but we don't get the best because mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not like a coastal warm state. Um, but frozen fruits and things like that. So I'm thinking berries, for example, something that's going to be really high in polyphenols. I add berries like frozen berries to smoothies. You can add them to oatmeal. You can add them to all these different things. And that's just like an easy way to do it because they are more cost effective than like your fresh. It's so funny you mentioned this because I I say this to everyone. I'm like in the winter, you know, berries aren't in season. I always have a frozen bag Mm -hmm. of berries on hand. Matt makes smoothies with them. I like to dethaw them and throw them in my yogurt or my oatmeal. Like, so that's so funny you brought that up. It's just an easy 
easy way to do it. So Same you can, page. Yeah, add that to a breakfast item, add that to a snack item. Maybe that's just once a day you're doing that. And yeah. that's already going to be benefiting it's you. It's a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add? I don't think so. I think just overall the premise of it is, and let me know, Brooke, if you do not agree, but anti-inflammatory foods or this anti-inflammatory diet, quote unquote, is worth the hype. Like, I think that it is very beneficial. There's things that we can gain from it. You're not really going to see like a disadvantage from incorporating inflammatory food or anti-inflammatory foods into your diet. Yeah. Period. Absolutely. Um, like I mentioned previously, I think I'm all about enhancing the diet. So yeah, let's, let's add things that we know are beneficial instead of taking away large groups of, of foods just for the sake of, of mm-hmm. taking them away to try and, I don't know do something. Um, so yeah, I think the anti-inflammatory diet or the incorporation of anti-inflammatory foods and nutrients is, is worth the hype. And let's, let's pick a couple that we can start to incorporate. And hopefully you learned what some of those are here. We'll, we'll post a couple slides or maybe even just links to some of the studies that we discussed. Maybe we'll post those in the description of, of our episode. And you could check those out if you have like a greater interest or would like to, you know, read some of the details of those studies. But, but yeah, I, I hope you guys learned something and took something away from how to manage maybe some underlying inflammation or maybe recovery from an injury through this episode and kind of how you can incorporate some different nutrients to, to help you do that. Yeah. Cool. Perfect. Well, as usual, if you like today's episode, give us five stars, give us a good rating, Um, you know, follow us on our social media at Wellbound Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and we will catch you in the next one. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, see ya. Bye. Bye.